This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. A very good morning on a hot and sweaty Monday. That's right. It feels like temperature of 28 degrees. That was a 4.30 this morning. No, this is not Patton Heels. Ben Davis in the chair all week while Patton Heels get ready for the, well, the Christmas slowdown, the summer that they're going to enjoy. They'll be back bigger and better next year. Uh, look, thanks for putting in the mouth guard with me this morning. There is some whacking to do. Who should foot the bill? For the Lions and Cricket's temporary home when they get kicked out of the Gabba. 13-13-55-0467-736-736. Who should foot the bill? The state government? Canberra? Well, either of those options are you and I, right? Through our taxes. Uh, what about AFL and Cricket? Should they be paying for their new home? Look, if your landlord turfs you out of your house, you're renting because they want to knock down, build, upgrade, you do have to find a new home, don't you? But then would you be asked to pay rent at that new place as well as kick in some money to go towards it, money that you'll never see again, money that you'll never get back just as an upfront payment? Who should pay? 13 13 55 0467 736 736. It is the epicenter of the biggest story in sport in this state right now. I'd like to tell you that the Lions AFLW grand final win is bigger, or that the Test squad being named for this summer is bigger, or that the Big Bash, which is about to start this week, is the biggest story in the state right now, but it's not. Because those stories aren't any bigger than what's going on with the funding row at the Gabba and the RNA because it threatens those sports, cricket and AFL, it threatens their very existence. Hang on, what? Yeah, yeah. The Ecca blow-up and who pays is threatening cricket and the Lions, AFL in Queensland. I'll let you know how shortly, but I want to know from you, who should pay for the Ecca upgrade? The Lord Mayor says it's not him. Well, should I say it's not you, through your rates that you're paying it. Are you cool with that? It has forced Adrian Schrinner into drastic action, quitting a group that has been set up for government heads to sit on alongside the Palaszczuk government to decide how the Olympics is going to be run, how it all works through. So what if the Lord Mayor steps off that? What's the big deal? What's the knock-on effect? And how will it affect your team? The Heat, the Lions, the Queensland Bulls, maybe the Australian cricket team. The Lord Mayor joining us after 8am today. David Warner, his test farewell. Well, it looks to be on the cards. He has been named in the 14-man squad for the first test against Pakistan in Perth. Will he make it for tests two and three? I think he should. I think he's got the runs on the board, and I also think there's not really anyone knocking on the door just yet or kicking the door in to say, pick me instead of David Warner. Are you with me or against me? 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736. No real shocks in this 14-man squad, except Lance Morris, the wild thing. He, he's taken the spot that's normally held by Michael Nisa. Michael Nisa is carrying a rib injury right now. Uh, probably not fit for the Heat's opener this Thursday. Don't know when we'll see him back, but I'm hearing that it's not long-term. Fingers crossed that it's not. Uh, but the biggest shock out of everything when it comes to cricket is Mitchell Johnson unloading on a former teammate, unloading on David Warner. He has pushed off the back fence and has come off a long run to give David Warner a huge whack. And it's not just David Warner, it's the selectors as well, George Bailey, another former teammate. What about this? He was writing in the West Australian, Mitchell Johnson, over the weekend, and he said, as we prepare for David Warner's farewell series, can someone please tell me why? Why a struggling test opener gets to nominate his own retirement date and why a player at the centre of one of the biggest scandals in Australian cricket history wants a hero's send-off. 
Well, let's go through this forensically. Struggling test opener. In the past three years, Mitchell Johnson writes, his test cricket has been ordinary with a batting average closer to what a tail ender would be happy with. Well, Mitch knows he was one. I went back and had a look at these numbers. In the last two years, since November 2021, David Warner has played 25 tests at an average of 28.9. And that includes a double ton against South Africa last summer. Is he on the money or is he way off the mark? 13, 13, 55, 046, 736, 736. Here's the big clincher for me. Mitch Johnson writes that at Steve Waugh's retirement, his iconic red hanky was the ones that the fans brought along to wave in the crowd. What will fans bring for Warner? Bunnings would sell out of sandpaper. Oh, truth. Talk about throwing someone under the bus. These bikes were former teammates. I don't know what's going on in their world, in Mitchell Johnson's world and David Warner's world, but has Mitchell Johnson got a point? For those who listen to my show regularly, no that I have an issue with results over reputation. What do you remember the most? Results, wins, stats, figures, averages, or somebody's reputation? What holds the biggest currency? Because right here, that's the epicenter of that argument. David Warner, what's it, five years since Sandpaper? Mitch Johnson said that he still hasn't owned up to this. He still hasn't said this was my part, this was my take. Does he deserve to nominate the day that he retires? Does he deserve to have a hero's farewell? Mitch Johnson says no. 13, 13, 55, 0467736. What do you reckon? Uh, after seven, you, you won't want to miss this. After partying all night, Lions AFLW grand final hero, Dakota Davidson, will join me. That has been playing loud and proud. South East Queensland's grand final curse is finally over. The Lions AFLW team beating the Kangaroos yesterday in Melbourne by 17 points. The first team in AFLW history to come from behind at three-quarter time in a decider to win. And one of the two goal heroes, Dakota Davison, a former Ipswich Girls Grammar student. Uh, she was under an injury cloud all week. Would she play? Would she be able to stand up like she has done all season, the Lions leading goal kicker? Well, after half time, in fact, it's probably three quarter time, she ignited. And I, I, I spoke to her. We had her on Seven News last night, about an hour after the match. Wow, she was flying. She was absolutely flying. What she'll be like in an hour's time, you will not want to miss this one. Uh, 13 Texts lighting up outstanding stuff. Um, we will be hearing from the Bullets head coach as well. What about this? The Bullets, they're back in business. Yeah, a 2-0 weekend. That's right, 2-0. They're back in the winner's circle, Justin Schuller, after their fever break. Oh, and I need to get you... And your thoughts on this. Last tackle. Where's your kick option? DCE on the right. They go left. Long ball. Munster. Munster. Into the backfield. The hammer scores the try. Yes, he did indeed. State of origin. The hammer exploded. Ended up playing for Australia this year. But the question is not about the hammer. The question is about who will be playing aside and playing against. Wayne Pierce, Jr., Rugby league legend. He now sits on the ARL commission. He wants to get Billy Slater and Madge Maguire, the new Blues coach, together and get their opinions on allowing Tier 1 nation players, those who've pledged their allegiance to New Zealand or England, look at Victor Radley, prime example, whether they should be allowed to play State of Origin. Stop it. Junior, just stop. No. Queensland v New South Wales. It is a selection trial for an Australian jersey. That's it. Don't bring in the Kiwis. Don't bring in Jason Tomalolo. Don't bring in Victor Radley. Don't bring in anyone else. If you're eligible to play for Australia, you're eligible to play for Origin. Vice versa, that's it. No correspondence entered into. What's the end game here? I, I don't get it. 
I don't get why we need a Jason Tomala. You take back years. I mean, they were talking about this when Sonny Bill was playing. Oh, get him to play State of Origin. Why? Why? Queensland, New South Wales play each other, and guess what? The best of the best get an Australian jumper. Simple stuff. Don't dilute it. Don't pollute it anymore. You may see things differently. 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736. So much to talk about today, but as I said, the biggest story in the state right now when it comes to sport is the Ecker and the upgrade and who should pay for it. 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736. You're going to have to get used to this word, displacement. You'll be hearing it a lot. We've been hearing it a lot since Friday. Displacement. It's all of a sudden the buzzword when it comes to our national sporting codes, our true ones here in Queensland, cricket and AFL. In two years, both cricket and AFL, the Lions, the Bulls, the Heat, test matches, they will be displaced. They'll be homeless when the Gabba gets knocked down and rebuilt. So where will they play? The RNA, no-brainer, centrally located in Brisbane. What, a five, ten-minute walk from the CBD? There's a brand-new train station right there at the front door. It's a no-brainer, right? The Echo. We know that. We've spoken about this. So who pays for it? Hmm. That's the big question right now. And it's the epicenter of the Lord Mayor, Adrian Schrinner, walking away from Olympic planning with the state government. He's had enough and it all came down to a meeting that he wasn't part of. He was part of a phone call, didn't actually get the memo until it was leaked already that the state government had decided the ECHA was going to be it. Oh, but guess what? $137 million price tag, $137 million. And we're only going to pay 47 of it. So about a third. The rest is up to the Brisbane City Council, the Lions and cricket. Is that fair? 13, 13, 55, 0467, 736, 736. A temporary home. Here's, here's the other one that's been left out of this. In fact, there's a few. As Vanessa's walking in to give us a news update, she's skipping in with a uh, with her Brisbane Lions shirt on. What about the RNA? They own the venue. Surely they've got to chip in something. I look at it at this level. We've all seen Selling Homes Australia, right? We've got Andrew Winter coming around with Charlie Allbone and stuff. They want to improve your place. They want to make sure they invest some capital in it and make it bigger and better so you can make a profit. Well, you've still got to tip some money in, don't you? So surely the Ecker comes to the party on this. So much more to delve into. We'll get to that as the morning winds on. Get to your text. Plenty of them flowing through at 16 minutes past six this Monday morning. Vanessa, you you floated in, didn't oh, you? absolutely. After the Lions Good yesterday. Good morning. What a game that was. I mean, <laughs> so close for three quarters. They were just going goal for goal. And when North Melbourne got that momentum late in the third quarter, you just go... Oh, no, come on. But that's when the experience just came through, didn't it, for the Lions? I mean, their fifth grand final in the eight seasons. Mm. And Dakota Davidson just standing up and then Brie Conan, you know, joining the party and the tackle count. Like, that was unreal. Did you see that hit that Sophie Colmay put yes. on? It was it, – <laughs> I, I reckon she'd probably get three or four weeks in, in oh, other codes. Gosh. It was shoulders and bang. Just yeah. dropped, it was unbelievable. But the intensity, stuff. the way they just go – Nah, we, this is not happening for a second year in a row. Nah, not on our watch. And it, out they came. Yeah, Unbelievable. I, I, I put them down as our most successful team, sporting team in any code over the last decade. I mean, you can argue state yep. of origin, but they're, they're the elite coming in at rep footy, playing uh, not week in and week out. Mm-hmm. The, the Lions, unbelievable. Absolutely. This grand final in eight years. Yep, and what they have done this year to come, you know, without Emily Bates and Jesse Wardlaw oh, yeah. and Greta Bodie, I mean, for them to just continue to to perform at that elite level. They were up against it yesterday. Everyone in the Southern media tipped the Kangaroos, wanted the Kangaroos to win. Some controversial umpiring calls. They had to kind of do it the hard way as well with all the crowd against them. But, yeah, the way they stood up and just said, yep, this is us. Kevin yeah. Walters, Billy Slater, um, uh, Dean Boxall, Chris Fagan, all in the realms of Coach of the Year. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, Craig Starsevich yeah. needs to be into that conversation. Vanessa, what else is happening? In okay, the world? look, well, also <laughs> big news today in the uh, sporting slash political world is the Gold Coast scrapping its bid to host the 2026 Commonwealth Games, which were abandoned by Victoria. Mm. And we know Tom Tate has been pushing this barrow uh, for months going, 
going. We've got the facilities. We've got the experience. Um, just give it to the Gold Coast. Then they teamed up with Perth and yeah. said, let's do it together. Now Tom Tate says, I've done my best, but no support behind me. I'm going to drop it. No, as if the writing wasn't on the wall already, what Sterling Hinchley from the state government has done to Adrian Schrinner, who's counterpart up the yep. M1 over the weekend, so dropping the RNA announcement, which is the hot topic of today. Yes. I think Tom Tate's just got, all right, I'm out. I don't want a part of this. I know. And look, I just don't think it's reflecting very well on Queensland at the moment, is it, in terms of hosting these events? I mean, yeah, the, the consultation issues with the Gabba, um, yeah. that's really causing some issues. So, look, that's, uh, yeah, we certainly haven't seen the end of that story. Now, also grocery prices at the moment. I mean, I, you know, we all um, go to the shops and do our weekly shop and notice the hit we're taking at the moment. So the Greens are launching a federal parliamentary inquiry. They say that there's price gouging going on by the major supermarkets and they want to look at the duopoly that Woolies and Coles do hold. And uh, so they're saying we need this inquiry. The Nationals say that that will take too long and they want the ACCC to investigate immediately whether there's any price gouging um, because Woolies and Coles do make up two-thirds of Australian grocery sales. So anyway, hopefully um, we will see prices come down if they do kind of get a bit of a spotlight shone on them. Fingers crossed and we're not holding our breath. It happens by Christmas. <laughs> I know. Maybe in 2028, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> Maybe it. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, Vanessa, go and keep celebrating that Lions shirt wearing it yes. loud and proud. Dakota Davidson, um, cannot wait for this. <laughs> One not to be missed after 7 o'clock today. I wonder what type of state she'd be in. I know she's in the state of Victoria, but what other state as well as they fly home today? Oh, look, if you do, if you've got the kids on school holidays and you're looking for something to do, they touch down at 11.30 this morning. Uh, Flying Virgin, if you want to get out there and see some silverware, <laughs> we haven't had much in the southeast no. over, over <laughs> the last 12 months. So yeah, see the girls bring the silverware home. 20 past six off and running for a Monday morning. Ben Davis in the chair, very big chair too, filling in for Patton Heels. The racing action, it continues every day across the Sunshine State. Check out racingqueensland.com.au for where Queensland is racing today. But what about the racing over the weekend? It's a very good Monday morning to Chris Nelson. Chris, was it a happy hunting day for you on Saturday at Dubin? It was a tough one, Ben. It was a it was a tough day. It's uh, it's been a tough few weeks, to be honest. I need to uh, I need to lift my game, so I'll try <laughs> and do my best this week to do that. But now we had a really good uh, day of racing, of course, uh, highlighted by the George Moore Stakes, which was the Group Three race. And and this is where you got to look at yourself. Uh, I tipped a horse <laughs> by the name of the Big Goodbye, who uh, the guys know well. Oh yeah, uh, that's Patty and Pat Hill. Heels are in the yes. partnership. Yeah, or in the ownership. And it was going up against a couple of uh, top-class horses in Zoo Style and Rothfire, and they just peered out from the top of the straight, and the race was all over, basically, at that stage. And they beat the rest of them home by just under three lengths, with Zoo Style proving a little bit too strong over the concluding stages, but did have five kilos uh, weight advantage over Rothfire. But it was an exciting finish. They were the class horses in the race. Anyone who tipped against them is a total fool and should learn from it. <laughs> and that's all I'll say about the whole thing. Mirrors at your place, mate. No, that's fair. Oh, terrible. But, uh, look, there was other good races on the day. We had the, uh, the tail stakes was won by a horse called Acquitted, who won very, very well for Chris Lees and Jimmy Orman. Uh, that was one of the highlights, as was the uh, the Channel 7 mode stakes, of course. West of Dolby, bit of a bit of an upset here. West of Dolby trained at Kembla Grange by Ben Smith. Uh, upset abounding, who was a very heavily backed favourite from the Rob Heathcote stable. Uh, they did go hard in that race and set it up for those horses at the back of which West of Dolby was. So I think out of that race, I wouldn't be jumping off abounding, who I think will, uh, will make up for that uh, pretty quickly. And it was good to see Knight's Choice back in good form, winning the Open Handicap race uh, number nine on the card. He's a horse, would you believe, Ben, that uh, won the Wings Guineas at the Sunshine Coast back in the winter. And then Connections knocked back offers of over $2 million from overseas. Oh, oh no, that's life-changing oh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, maybe they didn't need the money. That might be the case. But uh, the horse was uh, all set to go around in races such as the Cox Plate and the Golden Eagle. Well, he did go around in the Golden Eagle, and he finished out of the placing. So it's good to see him back in Queensland and back in the winner's list on a Saturday afternoon up to 2,000 metres. So well done to all concerned there. How's your geography, Chris? Okay. What's Next west question. of What's west of Dolby? 
Chinchilla. Yeah. Hey, because, nice one. Hey, yeah. That, well, the name of the mayor yeah. is Chinchilla. That's oh. why they called the horse west of Dolby. <laughs> Very good. Nice it was one. good. Yeah. No, yeah. Muckadilla's out that way as well too. Yeah, yeah they could have gone with that. That yeah. doesn't sound as good though. No, it doesn't. No, very good. No. <laughs> uh, when are we uh, – the, they'd be racing today in Queensland, wouldn't they? No, no, we haven't no, got a meeting. No, no, we haven't got a meeting today, and we don't have a meeting tomorrow either. Our week kicks off at Ipswich Beautiful. on Wednesday. Uh, we go to Cairns on Thursday. We've got a, a bit of a must be a, quis- a Christmas party type twilight meeting at Doombin on Friday afternoon. So that'll be good. Good place for all the office Christmas parties to head to. Uh, Saturday, big day at Eagle Farm. We've got the running of the Gateway. The winner of the Gateway gets a slot into next year's Stradbroke handicap. Keep that in mind. Uh, the feel and ready for the two-year-old Colts and Geldings, the Callaway Gal for the two-year-old Phillies, the Just Now and the Bribey, all listed races. The big news is we go back to Aquas Park on the Gold Coast on Saturday, first meeting back on the grass track. So that's very, very important. Uh, Rockhampton up north, Toowoomba in the twilight zone, and then we head back to the Sunshine Coast for another meeting on Sunday. Wow, there we go. A couple of days off, but then it is flying as far as racing in Queensland is concerned. Mate, we will chat to you during the week. Thank you for the update. The mirror's at your place. Long, hard look. But don't worry. Hey, hey, we've all been there, right? We've all been there. It's not a good feeling, Ben. It's just (laughs) you hang your head in shame. My tipster's licence should be taken away from me for at least a week after that. No, 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 no. Come on, look. Form is temporary. Class is permanent. Chris. Chat during the week, Chris Nelson, Racing Queensland. Remember, check out racingqueensland.com.au. What's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. I wonder how many times that song has been playing since 4.30 yesterday afternoon. The Lions AFLW team, they have broken the southeast Queensland drought. Finally, a trophy is coming home to the Sunshine State. We love it. And one of their best, two goals in a grand final. In fact, the leading goal kicker for the year, and I'd say the leading partier as well, is on the line right now. It's a very happy Monday morning. That's right, Dax, it is Monday morning. Dakota Davidson, congratulations. First question, have you had any sleep? Good morning. Um, No, I haven't. (laughs) I am just sort of rolling back to the hotel room to, to pack up my stuff and get on a plane. Can you talk us through the last 12 hours? This is going to be enthralling radio. I, I, I want you to take us inside the party of all parties. Oh, mate, it's been unreal. You don't win many premierships, so you got to make the most of them. But basically one um, got around each other. We, we really made an effort to sort of soak it in. So we sat in the middle of the oval with the, with the trophy in the middle and and we just sort of were not on our phones and we were just enjoying each other's company because, you know, the squad's not going to be the same next year. So, And then obviously we uh, we kick-started the party around 8, 8.30 last night and and here we are the next day rolling our way around Melbourne. So it was a sight for sore eyes, that's for sure. <laughs> I love that. And, and I love that you did take that time out to sit around and, and, and enjoy each other's company because so who won't be there next season, Dax? I've got no idea. I've, I've honestly got no idea, but, you know, chops and changes, you need to at least, you know, lose players to gain players. So that's just the way the, the, the world works in the footy world. So I'm not sure who's going or anything, but it's not going to be the same each year. The squad's never the same. So we just soak up that squad that won it this year. And you know what? This is the key and the crux to how big a victory yesterday was because at the beginning of the season, like it has been for the majority of the eight seasons that uh, the AFLW has been running, that the Brisbane team has been poached, has been changed, has been, well, affected by outsiders coming in wanting to pick the best of the best. And you were even playing against some former teammates yesterday. So to, to, to start afresh, to have new faces, to come together and to have the season you've had, that that makes this win yesterday even more extraordinary. Mate, I'll tell you one thing. I felt like the whole of Queensland was on my shoulders when I was kicking that goal. Like, because we're the only Queensland team that have won a premiership in the last 
years. So I was like, oh, my gosh. When I was lining up for the goal, I was like, heck, here we go. But you're right. We have had a lot of change, but we um, we took a different approach to, to culture this year. And, and obviously, you've seen the jerry can pop up now with uh, with at the end of the at the end of the game. So, I guess with yeah, with all with being such a good team, it makes for you know a keen eye by coaches and and staff. So we definitely um, pride ourselves on producing great athletes. But we um, yeah, we we just get along with our business and we love being the underdogs every year. We fully take that that um, title and and run with it. Oh, well, we're Queenslanders. We love the underdog title and we, we it's part of our DNA. Um, Dax, I, I do want to ask you about your week and leading into it. But before we do that, you've opened the door now, the jerry can. It was going to be one of my last questions, but it's my question now. Can you tell us the story behind the jerry can and why it was part of your celebrations yesterday? Yeah, the story behind the jerry can is uh, during pre-season, probably the first few weeks of pre-season, we... Uh, let's say endured ourselves on this hectic camp run by one of our coaches, Juki, and his little boys, that it, not his little boys, his big boys um, that do all those sort of camps. And, and one of the activities was run, we had to run a 20 kilometer trail run with the team with about 14 of those full jerry cans. Um, so it was just like, you know, hard. It was very hard, <laughs> very hard task to do. So, it was just showed that, you know, there's always something left in your tank and someone else, if you're not, you know, picking up yours, like someone else will help and pick it up for you. And, and it was just like a mindset that we went into and, you know, smile because, you know, life isn't too bad. There's always something else going on. And um, and I think that was just the mindset we took in. So the jerry can's like a, like a little object that we use now that, you know, we've been through the ringer and we can run out these games and we can, be able to, um, yeah, just uh, get get our best, I guess, and make sure that we're always running out quarters and, and, and you've always got something left in the tank. Well, that resilience is showing through right now. Dakota Davidson, my guest this morning, she's pushed through the entire night of celebrations and why wouldn't you after the season that they've had? What about the week you had, Dakota? You said the, the whole state was on your shoulders when you were kicking that goal, but... We were holding our breath to see if you'd even get there into this grand final after injuring your knee last weekend. Yeah, yeah. It was a hectic week, to be completely honest. Um, I had scans on the Sunday, and it was cleared of an ACL, so it wasn't an ACL tear. So I thought, right, that means I can play here. Like, that means that's, that's the worst injury is not it. That it didn't happen. So I thought I can do everything in my power here to uh, – get myself up and get myself ready um, for this game because my knee will let me type thing. So it's just a matter of of rehabbing it. And my physio, Alice and, and Abby and, and all our physios at, at the Lions did a phenomenal job um, in those seven days. So hats off to them. But um, Was there I pain? Was there guys, swelling? Was there restrictions to what you could do? Um, yes and no. I think it was more of a confidence thing. Mm. I think it was more um, getting that confidence back, but not as much pain as I thought there was going to be, to be completely honest. But I had a bit of swelling, but it was honestly not for for what the impact looked like. The doctor said that I was totally like one in a million chance of that happening unscathed. Well, that's good. I'm glad you got through it. When, what about it was a quiet first half for, for you, that confidence? Did it come after half time, three quarter time? What gave you that confidence? It was funny, actually. There was a point at, at half time, Craig comes up to me and he goes, How you feeling? I go, Oh, mate, like obviously haven't had too much hand on the ball this, this quarter or this half. And he goes, Dax, like this is Craig. He goes, Dax, um, grand finals all about moments and. And, you know, footy's a long game and it can be any point in time where you'll you'll find your moment. And, and I have I have a feeling that yours is coming up really soon. So just hang on and when you get that moment, just take it with both hands. And I was like, yes, Craig, I will, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, he, and, and then look, it all unfolded and, and I got those two goals. But he had total faith in me and, and he knew what I was capable of and he installed that in me. And I, you know, I'm so grateful that he said that to me because, He's been saying it to me all season. Sometimes it's not a day for, for a tall forward, but it all happened in the fourth quarter, didn't it? 
It all happened in the fourth quarter. The, the, the first team in AFLW history to be trailing at three-quarter time and then come home and, and win a decider. Bree Conan, your skipper, uh, she was best on ground. Hell of a game, but uh, she had a lot of friends there as well. Who, who was best on ground celebration-wise, Dakota? <laughs> Um, best on ground celebration wise. Well, I'm up there with some of the best runners, but you know, the girls, the girls work hard for their, for their partying and, and a few of them shine bright and, and we all just love each other's company, but you can't go past your, your Jade Ellinger. She loves a party. Um, Poppy Bolts is, is good at that as well. And, and Ellie Hampson's always a good time as well. So. The girls just really enjoy each other's company, but we uh, we keep it safe within the four walls. Nice, nice. Anyone still wearing their kit? Yeah, me. I'm in bed with it on right now. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got my shirt on and my medal. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Well, listen, I'm looking at the time. You're on a flight in a few hours, so go have a shower, uh, freshen up. I know. Be- I need to pack my bag. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you land in Brisbane around about half past 11. So um, hopefully there's a big crowd out there. School holidays for some have started. So uh, let's bring that trophy home and uh, make sure that you, uh, well, continue. I have one final one. One final one. Have you tested it? How, how much fits into the trophy? And you know what I'm talking about. 110 white claws. <laughs> I don't know. I just guessed that. <laughs> but a lot of alcohol can fit in it. <laughs> Good stuff. I'm sure we'll be putting it to test over the next uh, 24 hours. Well, actually, probably the next week. Enjoy the party, Dax. Thank you for uh, jumping on the line under under the circumstances, but we are celebrating as a state because of you and your team. Enjoy, and uh, we'll see you when you get home. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. The man I've got on the line now has written, I feel, in defence of Mitchell Johnson. Puts it in perspective. He always does. Our great mate from the Courier Mail, their chief sports writer, Robert Crash Craddock. Crash, good morning to you. Mitchell Johnson, was he justified in what he had to say? Oh, I thought he went a bit too far. But um, I tell you what it does prove to me, Ben, the fundamental thing was that uh, – um, <laughs> By arguing one side of the argument, he actually proved the other. It proved to me why this summer actually does need David Warner there because it just spices up the narrative a bit of what is a very, very, very flat test match summer against Pakistan and the West Indies. I mean, for whatever you might say about David Warner's three tests that he's got, um, you know, it's uh, it's certainly livened up the narrative for the summer. And, And for the first time yesterday, Ben, I felt that the summer was alive with a bit of controversy and a bit of sort of people sort of debating things and getting animated. It was it was quite interesting. All right, well, your take. So Mitchell Johnson has gone too far. David Warner, he, he questions his form, Mitchell Johnson, saying that it's a, an average that only a tail-ender would be proud of. Um, is, yeah, is, he, uh, is he on the point? Yeah, well, but, but you must must remember this, like, Warner has been one of our most decorated openers and his strike rate of about 70 and an average in the mid-40s. He has faded markedly over the last two years. He's had a good World Cup. Um, but here's the thing, Ben, and this is the big thing. Um, they were right on the margins, whether they were giving these tests or not. And uh, Ian Healy wanted a farewell test at the Gabba in 1999, but mm. they, the difference between then and now was that um, Healy had Adam Gilchrist snapping at his heels, waiting behind him, the, the incomparably great Gilchrist, whereas the, the three openers waiting to replace Warner have scored one century between them in, the, in 38 tests. So that just sort of got him home in, in a tight call, and it was a tight call. And the one thing that this has done, this this series, sorry, the squad that they've named, it, they have stated it is only for the Perth Test match. This squad. So George Bailey yesterday, he, whilst he didn't he didn't guarantee David Warner a Sydney Furl, but we're reading between the lines saying that he's he's going to get it surely. Because who else? Who, you know, Renshaw, uh, Bancroft, uh, Harris. No, I mean he'll get these three tests. I mean the the big decision was to call him back for the start of the series. If you said, name me a circumstance where Warner could not get three tests, I'll give it to you. Australia has a shock loss in Perth and Warner makes two and five. Um, They struggle in the second test at Melbourne and he makes seven and 11. 
But I still think if he gets there, if he gets past the first test and, and, and if they win, he just gets carried home. I mean, the hard decision was to bring him into the keep him for the series, and, and he will get over the line. Look, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, he's been fading, 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 but then they still don't know now who they're going to replace him with, and that's their problem. I think what will happen is when Warner retires after the Sydney test, they will look at moving a batsman like Labouchain or Marsh to the opening position and ignoring all three of those options. They've never liked Cam Bancroft overly. Yeah. People in Western Australia say, oh, he's a heartbreak kid. Well, he has played 10 tests and average 26. That's a lot of tests for not many runs. Crash, what, what does that say, though, for the... For the shield system, surely as a shield player, you've got to have the belief that I'm scoring the runs, I'm next cab off the rank when it comes to Australian test selection. If you're just shuffling the deck, so what, you, you move up a Manus or or maybe a Travis Head to open to be a Warner-like destructive opener, and then yeah. everyone, what's that? So mm. when Cameron Green comes in and you're playing Marsh and Green in the same test lineup? Mm. Yes, Exactly. Um, I, I really love the look of Cam Green at the Gabba last week if he looks superb against Queensland. Yeah. But then here's the thing. You, you say you're ignoring Sheffield Shield form, but if Cam, Bank, Cam Bancroft Sheffield Shield form has been terrific for a couple of years, undisputed, we get it. And if he had never played a Sheffield Shield, te- uh, if he'd never played a test match, you'd say, gee, he deserves a go. Mm. But I, I can name... Uh, three players, Stuart Law, Brad Hodge, and Martin Love, who were much better players than Bancroft and who never got 10 tests. 10 tests is a reasonable body of evidence and he's averaged 26. And uh, if you said to me, does his role in the ball-tampering saga play any role at all in his selection? I reckon it sort of does, you know, because... He fell out with the fast bowlers again last year when he half suggested they might have known about the ball tampering thing and that they released a statement denying it. I mean, do you really replace a guy who has the ball tampering plan with the guy who actually did the deed? I don't know. You know, it's if, if, if it was Matthew Hayden scoring a century every two innings, it wouldn't matter. But yeah. when you're 50-50, Ben, it matters, you know? Just on the sandpaper, Gate, I mean, Warner's in the same boat, right? I mean, he's he, he was part of it. He was he was one of the ringleaders. Yet so, and, that, and I think that's half of Mitchell Johnson's point, isn't it? That the yeah, fact that yeah. the, the bloke who was at the centre of the biggest controversy in Australian cricket that we've seen since Underarm gets a hero's mm. farewell. It's a it's a and and I'm seeing texts coming through crash too. Um, this one from Matt from Raceview saying Mitchell Johnson is just saying what a lot of Australia has been thinking for years. Yep. The, yep. The, yeah, yeah. The the only thing is that there is no other opener putting their hand up to take his spot. So. Um, yep. It comes yep. back to the reputation over results and, and what's the bigger mm. currency in sport. Is is it your results and what you've done on the playing field, whatever your endeavour, or does your reputation count bigger, mm. larger? Well, I, I think that it's a bit of both. And, um, I, I mean, I just felt – it's funny that the 200 comments we received beneath our story on Mitchell Johnson's column, mm. I reckon 70% of them were supporting Johnson then. Uh, 10% reckoned he went too hard. You know, there's a few more percent defended Warner. And, you know, but it was interesting. You know, a lot of Australians do feel like that. Look, it's just... The thing is with Warner, the selectors let him play on and on through this form slump that he's in. I didn't think he was too bad in England. Everyone says he averaged 28. Well, before the team left, I said, if he averages 30 in a country that's notoriously tough for openers, yeah. he's done his job. Well, he averaged 28 and was very good early when they won those two tests. So I view him as C minus, you know, sort of six out of 10 for that tour. It sounds funny for averaging 28. But, um, but yeah, he, he is limping over the line and just getting there. But uh, what I love, though, oh, I'm so happy he's there, Ben, in a way, because from a journalist, hey, if I'm a selector, am I teasing him? Oh, I'm not sure. As a journalist, coming the summer, I'm glad he's there because I think there'll be a story at every turn. <laughs> oh, yeah, Crash, exactly. We chase the story. We love the story. Well, one final one. The other, the other thing that Mitchell Johnson has brought up, and you just touched on it there about selectors, 
George Bailey, mm. is he too close as a national selector considering he's played with half this team, especially Warner, they were teammates, and hey, Mitchell Johnson was a teammate of his as well, and he's had a crack at George Bailey saying, look, is he is he basically too close to this team, the, the fact that he's picking former teammates? Uh, and so his selection credentials have come under fire from Mitchell Johnson. Yeah, look, I've thought a lot about this, actually, because he, he's the sort of polar opposite to Trevor Holmes, who would never wear the team tracksuit and kept a respectable distance from the players. He believed that's what his job was. George went the other way. He sort of embedded himself in the team. He wears the tracksuit. He does throws. He does throwdowns. He does fielding with them. He, yeah. he, he's, he's part of the inner sanctum. He, he is, and his response yesterday was, when someone can prove to me why how being more distant from the team and, and like not getting in and understanding their thoughts and their plans and everything, when, when someone can tell me that's a disadvantage to selection, that's when I'll move away. So that's his thought on it. Um, so far, it's working. The only big thing is if you're going to get in tight like that, you've got to be prepared to make the hard decision. Yeah. Tough call. Okay. Now, if Trevor Holmes was chairman of selectors, I think I can say with impunity that David Warner would, would not have got this farewell tour. You know, mm. he would have moved on and said, no, we need two new openers for, for next season. Um, and we've just got to start looking now. So uh, which is right, Ben? I'm, not, I'm still not sure, to be honest with you, because, you know, I can sort of get both sides. But yeah, George was interesting yesterday. He said uh, to uh, of Mitchell Johnson, I hope he's okay. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that was George's finest moment, no. to be honest. I uh, have to say that, Ben. No. Yeah. Uh, and we know Mitchell Johnson has. has... I like him. He, he's, yeah. Sorry. He's a good guy, Ben, uh, George Bailey. But I just felt that, you know, we all, that's obviously a statement that's, you know, attached to sort of, you know, mental health. And, yeah. I just didn't – I didn't love it, let's put it that way. No, exactly. There wasn't a lot to love about that from George Bailey. It is at the epicentre of the latest and biggest political storm threatening sport in this city, and, yes, it is threatening it. Because in two years' time, the Lions, the Heat, the Bulls, test matches, they won't have anywhere to play here in Brisbane. And on Thursday, the sports minister pulled off one of the biggest blindsides since Andrew Johns and Darren Albert in the 97 grand final. Dropped it on the Lions, dropped it on cricket, dropped it on City Hall, that you're going to the Ecker, but you're going to have to pay for it. Well, we'll pay a third, but you're going to have to stump up the rest. It sparked a bit of divorce between City Hall and the Tower of Power. The Lord Mayor resigning from the 2032 Olympic and Paralympic Games Intergovernmental Leaders Forum. The what? Eh, how big a deal is this? Well, let's ask the Lord Mayor. Adrian Schrinner has been kind enough to join us this Monday morning. Lord Mayor, very good morning to you. Well, what is the Olympic Intergovernmental Leaders Forum that you've resigned from? Well, this forum was designed to provide oversight to the Brisbane Coordination Office, which is a section of the Premier's Department tasked with planning and delivering infrastructure and facilities for the Games. So this is a really important role. And originally it was always intended that this would be an independent authority set up to independently plan and deliver the Games, but the government backed down from that commitment and decided it would just become part of the Premier's office. So this Intergovernmental Leaders Forum was designed to provide some oversight of the process. Now, what we've seen in recent times is that uh, no such oversight has been provided and key matters haven't been discussed at this forum at all. So uh, two weeks ago, the state government announced that they're full steam ahead with the rebuilding of the GABA. You'd think that that was an important decision to be talked about at the leaders forum. It wasn't. In fact, there hasn't been a meeting to talk about it. There was no meeting called. No information was distributed via the channels of that meeting. And then a week later, we've seen the announcement on the RNA, uh, which once again, wasn't discussed by this leaders forum. So if key matters like the GABA rebuilding and the gearing up of temporary venues while the GABA is being rebuilt, rebuilt aren't being discussed by the leaders forum, what's the point of the leaders forum? So 
it's been quite clear to me that it's a pointless forum. Uh, it's just there for show and it doesn't actually really do anything or achieve anything. So I'm not going to be part of some kind of uh, body that exists purely, um, you know, to provide political cover for the government's political decisions. Having said that, what's happened with the RNA and the GABA is really quite remarkable. Now, the GABA is going to be rebuilt. That's a process that will take many years to demolish and then rebuild. And instead of providing funding for an alternative venue for the, the Lions AFL team and for the Brisbane Heat cricket team, uh, the government said, oh, look, we'll put in a third of the cost and the council ratepayers and the sporting teams need to pay for the rest, which is quite extraordinary because you, you can imagine if, if if the government comes in and says, we're going to demolish and rebuild your house, but by the way, we're only going to pay for a third of the cost of you finding another house or a temporary house, what would you say about that? It's, it's really quite extraordinary. Was it your understanding, Lord Mayor, that this was all part of the budget to start with for the redevelopment of the Gabba, that that rehousing or displacement costs would be covered? Yeah, absolutely. And that commitment was given by Minister Hinchcliffe in the past. When he was asked about what would happen while the Gabba is being rebuilt, where would the teams play, where would they be based, what temporary facilities would be required, he said, oh, yeah, that's all covered as part of the Gabba budget. That's all covered. And then last Friday, we find out it's in fact not covered and they've only budgeted for a third of the cost. They want other people to pay the other two thirds, which is, you know, this is just mismanagement. It's it's really quite extraordinary. Who who should pay then, Lord, Lord Mayor? I mean, the money's got to come from somewhere. Who should be paying for it? It was the government's decision to demolish and rebuild the Gabba. They have been wedded to that decision for a number of years. Uh, they've doubled down on it recently. And so it's obvious that they should facilitate a temporary venue and pay for a temporary venue while the GABA rebuilding process is underway. I mean, that's really clear. That's that's a principle of fairness. It's a principle of good planning, that if you're going to kick sporting teams out of their current home, that you will help them find a temporary home and you will support them in finding a temporary home rather than saying, oh, by the way, we'll put in a third, you pay the rest, or someone else should pay the rest. The Law Mayor, Adrian Schrinner, my guest this morning. Have you put your heads together with the CEO of Queensland Cricket and the, the Lions to figure out your, your next move on this? I mean, you're digging your heels in. Do we do we know as a collective what uh, what's going to happen with yourselves and the sporting groups on this? Yeah, look, there's been various communication back and forward between the council and, and different stakeholders. But I, look, I really feel for, for both of those teams. They're, they're so important to Brisbane and they've been hung out to dry by the state government. And, you know, they're, they're in a really difficult position because uh, the government controls the purse, obviously, and these guys need help. Uh, we just heard the Treasurer saying this morning that, oh, these are big sporting organisations, you know, they can they can cover this. Um, and it's just not the case. I mean, sporting teams, um, you know, they, they don't roll in cash. These teams aren't rolling in cash. They always need support, and certainly if you're going to kick them out of their current venues, then it's only fair that the government will come up with a solution for a temporary venue. Lord Mayor, you have been in favour of the ECA uh, hosting and uh, the RNA being the, the home of cricket and AFL while uh, whilst the Gabba is uh, being redeveloped. Why? Why is the ECA the sweet spot? Well, look, if you think about the teams and their fans, um, you know, at the moment, based around that Gabba hub, now, the alternatives that were put up to the ECA were Springfield in Ipswich, uh, a significant distance away, a significant displacement uh, of where fans can go to support their team. And the other alternative was the Gold Coast. And so to have the Brisbane Lions and the Brisbane Heat based in either Ipswich or the Gold Coast is a significant displacement. Now, look, you know, as Lord Mayor of Brisbane, you would expect me to advocate for a Brisbane-based location uh, for the years while the Gabba is being rebuilt. I mean, it makes sense. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to support uh, the, these teams being based out of Brisbane. It just doesn't make sense, and I don't think the fans would appreciate it either. I think they would lose uh, so much patronage at their games. 
that would then cause them to suffer financially uh, even further as teams, and it would put them into an even deeper hole than the government's put them into. What, so, what's, what's in it for the really rate? Concerning. What's in it for the rate payer? For those listening right now, fans, yes, but for Brisbane, if if the Ecker, well, we hope the Ecker gets redeveloped. I hope the Ecker gets redeveloped, and that's where they're plonked. But what is in it for Brisbane? How much of a benefit would this be for for the city for ratepayers to have the RNA redeveloped and have the sporting codes play there? Well, there's significant economic benefit as well. Now, if you think about it, at the moment, when you go to a game, a lot of people like to go and either grab a bite to eat and a drink before or after the game. Mm. They then go into local venues and businesses and restaurants and cafes, um, and that's a flow-on effect before and after every game. Think about how Caxton Street benefits whenever there's a game on at Suncorp. Um, you know, this is this is the obvious economic benefit. If you're sending people out to Springfield, um, you know, you lose that economic benefit for Brisbane and there's not the same opportunity to have a drink, have a meal before or after the game out there as there is here in Brisbane and around the Ecker. You know, we're talking the Ecker being a stone's throw away from uh, major hospitality precincts. You know, you've got the King Street precinct, you've got Portichuk Valley. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities nearby for people to go either before or after the games, and that's an economic benefit for local small businesses and an economic benefit that supports jobs. If those um, alternative venues down the Gold Coast or in Ipswich are used, you lose that economic benefit for Brisbane. That's why the Gabba, by the Gabba, it's why the Echo for me ticks a, a lot of boxes. So, Lawmere, before I let you go, there's one thing that, in, in my view, has been lost in this, and it's and you you, you would know by sitting on that um, uh, intergovernmental leaders forum, you'd know about the funding that's been put on the table for the entire Olympics, seven billion shared between Canberra and the state government. But part of that seven billion is a I'm rounding it up here, about $2 billion, 1.87, I think is the exact number, for other Olympic venues, new and existing. Isn't the RNA already slated to host equestrian at the Olympics and funding from Canberra to upgrade the RNA could be used to, I don't know, upgrade the RNA? Yeah, that certainly could go towards it. And, and look, your understanding is also my understanding that there is a certain amount budgeted for work on the RNA. Now, obviously, it's not the full-scale um, improvement that we've seen proposed, but there, there are several million dollars that have been um, set aside for works on the RNA because it is a, an Olympic venue. As you point mm. out, the equestrian will be held there, and um, there needs to be some work done on that just for those elements. But you know, there, there's there's definitely some money there, but that wouldn't cover the entire cost. And that's why it was quite perplexed that this hasn't been budgeted for through the GABA rebuilding process, because obviously it's related to the demolition and tearing down of the GABA. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't do that, you won't need a temporary venue. So this is all linked to the GABA, and it should have been funded through the GABA process. Lord Mayor, really appreciate your time this Monday morning. I know it's a, a very big agenda on your plate and for sports fans in this city, uh, they are concerned as well. Where are the Heat going to play? Where are the Bulls going to play? Where are test matches going to be held in southeast Queensland? And the Brisbane Lions, we're talking those at the top of the tree. Lord Mayor, Agent Shrin, appreciate your time. Uh, were you watching and listening to the NBL over the weekend? The Brisbane Bullets, haven't they come out for lying after the break? The FIBA window break. Two games in round nine. It all started Thursday night up in Cairns with a win over the Taipans. The first time in 10 attempts that the Bullets have taken down the Taipans in the Sunshine Stoush. And then they backed it up yesterday afternoon at the Armoury. And it was a nail-biter against the Hawks. It was a thriller, a last-second thriller as well. Tyrell Harrison, it was a last play blocked to seal that one-point win. So... They're in the top six, seven and seven for the season, two straight wins after round nine, and the bloke we got on the phone right now I reckon is pretty happy. I'm speaking none other than the head coach, Justin Schiller. Justin, congratulations. It's not a bad start coming back from the break, is it? No, thanks, mate. Yeah, everything we, we said we needed to do and a pleasing way to, to get out of the window for sure. Now, I thought you might have picked me up on that because I know speaking to you uh, earlier in the week, say, it's no, 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 it's not a break. We're not having a holiday. We're actually going to be getting in and working on stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we also know coming out of this window to the Christmas New Year's period has been a bit of a separator in our league. So we're conscious of what we need our daily habits to be and how we're going to continue to forge forward. And yeah, as you said, like you know, there's been some history against the Taipans. You know, good to, to tick that one off and, and break that record. And now, you know, coming into Melbourne, they haven't had two losses in a row and that's our next target to try and achieve. I want to come back to the Taipans match, but talk me through the actual, not break, but getting better. I think that was your catch cry. We're not having a break. We're getting better. What What did you do? What were the things that you put in to get better as a team? Yeah, I guess we looked at us and where our deficiencies were. We knew the, you know, we weren't shooting the three uh, as well as we would have liked. We identified probably the why behind that. Um, too many contested off the bounce versus pain penetration to out and, really happy with how how we shot the ball this weekend um so that was a key area for us but then it was also about you know what lineups can we use now that we're back to full strength and obviously josh missed yesterday but you know to have 12 guys in cans what was that going to look like in you know early days with it but we we definitely like the signs that we've, we've been able to figure out and and the target areas we can use what what about away from the court Justin, you were doing non-basketball-related activities, weren't you? Yeah, for sure. Like, we uh, we got in there and did a boxing session just to work on uh, a different sports craft, you know, footwork and agility, and reaction time was something we identified we could we could have a, uh, an improvement in. Uh, we did some trust exercises with egg catching and um, building, you know, towers out of, out of spaghetti, uh, all the dads. The dad group really nailed that one. So home arts and crafts is, is a skill that I wasn't aware of. But no, just a few things like that where it's problem solving, um, you know, and just getting the mind thinking in different ways. Because, you know, we don't, there's a lot being spoken about how we've closed games out. But to us, it was more about, you know, what, where do we go when we see a problem and how are we going to react to it? And, yeah, we think we come out um, pretty well from that window with, with the two close wins this weekend. Oh, I love that from a from a player's point of view, from a coaching point of view, to be able to look outside and go, what else can we bring in from other sports, other other endeavours, spaghetti making? Wow, that's, that's impressive stuff. <laughs> hey, with the boxing, how did that match up? I mean, you've got a couple of big boppers there, but the, the biggest unit is Aaron Baines. Like, who, who's taking him on in the boxing ring? Who, who drew that short straw? No, we're at Kubru Boxing Gym with uh, Team Chopper, so he, he lined up with everyone. And, um, yeah, we've got a few good guys in the ring, actually, like Sammy McDaniel showed some stuff. Sobes was pretty good. No one's taken Bainesy on in a ring. So uh, I know my shoulders are sore for four days. So, no, it was a good, good little workout and uh, something I think we'll go back to, you know, as we get closer to the playoff run. Well, i tell you what, I think there was about 4,000 at the snake pit on Thursday night wanting to take Bainesy on. The, the bloke gets booed off court after being cut. Uh, what did he cop? A, he copped a few stitches, didn't he? And and then got booed yeah. off. And, and this is his hometown as well. <laughs> yeah, I made mention of it. I thought it was a bit rough him getting booed. Uh... Yeah, when he's cut open, I think the rest of the time he gets booze is because he's such a great player. But um, you know, that that's a it's a real rivalry, you know, rivalries get thrown around in sport, but that one's a real one and you know, it was a really hot um physical contest up there and you know, obviously Josh copped a knock in stitches as well and had the delayed concussion. So, um yeah, physical bout but really, really pleased for the boys to be able to go into a hostile environment and be able to come away with a win in that one. All right, and when are you expecting Josh back? Um, is is he just a week proper, a week on the sidelines? Yeah, it's his first one, so we're we're very hopeful that it will only be a week. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll we won't rush that. We'll just make sure that he's fully clear. And yeah, our hope is it'll be next Sunday. That's the beauty of our schedule right now. We've got seven day breaks between games, so um, yeah, expecting him to be right. But we'll wait and see. Yeah, Brisbane Bullets coach Justin Shuler, my guest this morning, off a two-game streak uh, coming out of the FIBA window. So Melbourne United, John Kane Arena next Sunday is uh, is your next task. They've uh, well, they they're coming off a they're coming off a loss. They've had two wins behind that too. Are they right for the picking, or is it more about your team being right up for the challenge? Yeah, I think it is more about us being up for the challenge. Like you know. We know that club doesn't lose two games in a row too often, so we know they'll be ready and 
Uh, they also understand, you know, what we've been able to do in against some of the top uh, teams in the league. You know, for us, this is a this is one we've had circled because we feel it's the only team we haven't really met the level with, um, as opposed to who we've played in the year. So, looking forward to you know the way we've been going, the way we've been building, um, going into that environment and and pulling out a road win, hopefully. Pulling out a road win and then you're back at Nissan Arena, the Armoury, uh, December 17. And, oh, would you believe it's another sunshine stash? <laughs> <laughs> Putting the stash in sunshine stash. So that's the next one the Bullets home fans can can get ready for. Does that make it easier or harder, the fact that you've played them so recently? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the interesting part about our league is it is only 10 teams. So, you know, each team gets scouted quite heavily and, um, you know, teams are very different from time that you play them to the next time you see them, in, whether it's injuries or they've found their own form. So they just had a great win against Melbourne. Um, but right now we're just looking at that United clash and yeah. we'll see what happens between now and then uh, when we get back home. Uh, exactly right, mate. Well, you're doing some things right, be it from egg throwing, trust exercises, boxing, <laughs> keep up the great work. Egg throwing, that's that's a good one. How many broke? Uh, well, there is footage of Mitch Norton copping one on the top of his head, so um, we might release that at some point. But no, there was a there was a bit of mess. We had to shift practice to the top course. My what planning wasn't uh, as good as it probably could have been that day, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding stuff, mate. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, we look forward to that vision as well. 